discussion that there can be about what we need to do to make ourselves successful. We're the workforce trainers. The reader that I had in kindergarten at the one-room schoolhouse was the same reader I had in second grade. Membership engagement, that is so important to me. This is In the Know with ACCT, the voice of community college leaders. I'm Jacob Bray. I'm here at the 49th annual ACCT Leadership Congress with ACCT President and CEO Noah Brown and ACCT Chair-Elect Connie Hornbeck. Yeah, this is a, a wonderful opportunity here at our Congress to have a conversation with Connie, who is our, currently our Chair-Elect, but will be receiving the gavel uh, in a few days and become the Chair of ACCT. And, I might point out the chair during our 50th gathering next year in San Francisco, our golden anniversary. Uh, so we're very excited about that. So welcome, Connie. Excited to be here. Thank you very much, Noah. So I thought it would be interesting uh, for our listeners to know a little bit about you. I've had the privilege of working with you for a couple years, and I've gotten some insights and heard from you on, about your story, uh, which is very interesting. And uh, so, for example, I'd like you to talk to us a little bit about two things. One is I know you started college at a very, very young age. And then you have some familiarity with something uh, called uh, tassel pulling. And uh, I don't mean the ones on mortar boards. So tell us a little bit about what those things are and, and how they influenced who you are today and kind of your perspective. I did start college probably earlier than anyone. I was born in rural Iowa to itinerant farmers. We didn't have much. I was the oldest of three children at that time. And when I went to start school, the rural school was right across the street, or right across the road, really, from where we lived. And the official name was Swamp College. So I began college at six years old. Um, known familiarly in our community as Frog Pond. It was a one-room schoolhouse, K through eight, one teacher, Ms. Schnichter, no running water. And much as I was so excited to go to school, so excited as the oldest, when I got there, there were some rules that were really kind of a, a struggle for me. So when I started in kindergarten in September, I ran away from school every day until we moved to town in March. Every day. Every day you ran away. Every day I ran away. I, I would go out to use the outside uh, outhouse and then I would just um, kick it on home, uh, hopefully in time to get there in time to help my dad milk cows. And every day my dad brought me back to school. Now that's 100 days, guys. That's 100 days. Every day my dad brought me back to school. I guess your dad valued education. He did. He did. More importantly, maybe, every day, my teacher took me back. That's a hundred chances for me to get going. It had been very easily, as I look back, for her to say, she's not ready. I've got kindergarten through eighth grade. What am I doing trying to get this little kindergarten girl to stay in class every day? Every day, she took me back. And I guess I didn't think about that so much at the time. But when I look at what we do and why I became so impassioned with community colleges, it's because of that transformative nature that we have. It's because we give not one chance, not two, but I'll bet you we give some people a hundred chances. And that is so important. We're not all ready at the same time. Um, 
So I did start college early, not very successfully, 100 days of running away. But when I came to uh, school in town after my dad had to sell out, and uh, he accepted a job as a police officer in a small community, and I started school there, and I found out that the reader that I had in kindergarten at the one-room schoolhouse was the same reader I had in second grade. I learned while I was there. I brought forward things. Um, my dad had only an eighth grade education and uh, carried my report card in his billfold every day because education was so important. I was a first-generation college student, obviously. Uh, if I couldn't get scholarships or work, I couldn't have gone either. So I was given chances when I went to college to get me there. Um, and that's why I think community college and giving second chances to people and what we do and how we do it is so important to me. And I couldn't agree more. I think I didn't get 100 chances. I recall one time I left uh, kindergarten, or actually nursery school, and walked home, and my mother was shocked and appalled. I was taken straight back, and that was uh, my, one, my one chance. Uh, and I didn't run away after that. Um, now, you've had some other experiences uh, that also shaped who you are and I would say probably your commitment around hard work and paying attention and, and being diligent. Um, and I know that when you were growing up, uh, you spent some time pulling tassels. And as I said earlier, I don't mean the ones on mortar boards, but tell us a little bit about what tassel pulling is all about and, and why you think that uh, was an area that kind of shaped who you are today. Well, tassel pulling in Iowa means uh, you're setting up a, a cornfield so that we can have hybrid corn. Some corn needs to be six foot tall. Some corn needs to have four cobs on it. Some corn needs to be very short. Some needs to be this and that. So we hybridize it. And our job, uh, and how I put myself through college in the summer was to be as a contract foreman. Only gal, only gal out there. Uh, and our job was to go through and after the farmer planted uh, his corn, two rows of male corn and six rows of female corn and two rows of male corn, it was our job to go through and, and use uh, paint on the end of the rows, red for the male, leave the others green so that when we hired our contract people to come in and pull those tassels off that corn so that they could not pollinate, um, we had to pull 100% of those two rows. As a contract foreman, it was my job to make sure that those were done correctly and that uh, everything was going well. Well, I, I had one field that was right south of the owner's mansion, if you will. I thought it was a mansion. And I knew how important that was, that those tassels were pulled correctly. So I put what I thought was my best fella, young guy, hard worker, you had like four days to pull two acres. That was your job. And I put him right down there and I said, Don, this is so important now, he's gonna be watching you every day. And, and you need to be able to go and pull your two rows. And Sure, sure, Connie, sure, sure. I went out and as I started walking through on, after the end of that first day, I was having two rows of female corn, none of the male corn, and I'm going through there, I'm getting 
more frustrated, more angry. And I get to Don and I said, Don, what are you doing? What happened? You're, you're pulling the male or you're pulling the um, female rose and not the male. I said, I said, we painted them red. Can't you see that? Connie, I'm colorblind. And I was way too embarrassed to tell you. It was a weakness Don had. Little did I know he was the best worker I had out there. But until he could have that second chance, until he felt comfortable enough to say, I, I can't do this, he just made the mistake. We had to let him go again. Hard work, it's how we put ourselves through school. It was, you know, four o'clock in the morning till six, seven at night. Um, that's what you've got to do when you've only got a little bit of time to get your work done. Really framed a lot of what I think um, education is about, what trusteeship is about, um, what being a, a, a really giving and caring human being is about. I, I found this fascinating. I don't know much about corn except when we go to the farmer's market and buy it, take it home, shuck it, uh, cook it up, usually in a pot, sometimes on the grill, put some butter on it and enjoy it. I had no idea there were male and female and there were strategies for how you uh, grow corn and produce corn. But I like this uh, story uh, in the context of your discovering that someone that was working with you uh, had a particular challenge but didn't come forward for lots of reasons and I suspect uh, uh, didn't want to be embarrassed, didn't want to admit. Um, Let's fast forward a little bit to community colleges. Um, and you know a lot of the work that ACCT has been doing around uh, food insecurity, homelessness, uh, mental health uh, challenges and the like. We know that we have many, many students who come to us with a number of challenges. And often we're unaware of what they are. I remember meeting uh, a student uh, who uh, came to the college every day, dressed impeccably, uh, was getting straight A's, and uh, had the intention of transferring to university. And the college at one point wanted to uh, locate this student and went to look up the student's address and discovered that the address the student had on file was the address of a street lamp on a, on a particular street in the town. In other words, the student was homeless and no one knew that. Uh, and that student guarded that uh, zealously. So in terms of, of the college and uh, things that uh, you're interested in, uh, how important do you think it is that we find ways of identifying and addressing those kinds of challenges that we know many of our students uh, have and have with them throughout their college experience? Well, to me, that's really what defines community colleges differently than other areas in the higher education system. Um, we, we don't look for ways uh, to increase our average grade point average. We look for ways to make each individual successful in meeting their goals when they come to the community college. And the best way to find out if someone has barriers that they don't feel comfortable in talking about is to establish a relationship, is to be able to ask, why weren't you at class today? And hopefully, if you ask a hundred times, you'll start to get the real answer. And I think that's what, what sets us aside and what, what really kind of gives me that, that gut drive to say, 
it's community colleges, folks. We are the ones that I want to see at every higher education table that is set across this country for every discussion that there can be about what we need to do to make ourselves successful. We're the workforce trainers. Yes, we are. Uh, we can create um, very, very um, necessary kinds of courses and training courses in a matter of weeks, folks. I admire all higher education. I'm certainly not here to say one over another, but I'm telling you, we offer what no one else can, and in many instances, what no other higher education system wants to. Given your story that perhaps we know which tassels to pull better than most institutions, and I think we should be proud of that. Let's talk a little bit now, Connie, about, um, so you're gonna get the gavel. Um, for ACCT in a couple of days, uh, and we're very excited to work with you. Uh, and you have some, some things that you care about that you've shared with me in terms of what you wanna focus on uh, during this year. Uh, would you share those with our listeners now? I do, and there are many things. It's kind of like when you get asked to make um, uh, donations um, on all those calls. You can't make them all. You can't make all the donations. Sometimes you have to pick and choose and say, well, I support this, I can't do them all. And that's the way I feel sometimes about, as I started to look at the themes I might bring forward, there's so many things I would like to address. But we, we need to focus, and I have two areas I'd really like to focus on. First of all, I really would like to focus on how our association can and, and will work closer in partnership with our members. Membership engagement. That is so important to me. You know, I came on the board because I was asked. I was asked by someone that was doing a good job on the board and said, I think you should consider. And if we can't engage with our members from our position and they cannot engage with us from theirs on the ground, we won't know what we're doing well, what we need to do better, what new things we haven't thought of. So membership engagement is critical for me. And I, I think there's a lot of things we can do, small, big, but all intentional. And the second thing that, that I really want to talk about is a little more granular, but it has to do with, with second chances. It really has to do with giving those kinds of chances to our incarcerated brothers and sisters and making available as many ways as we can their ability to receive educational and workforce training to prepare them for upon release, to be contributing members for the safety of our community, to fill the employment gaps we all know that are out there. We're looking for that and this is a particular issue of mine because I really do believe that second, third, and fourth chances are something we can stand for. We're transformative at the community college level, and I think we can transform ourselves from membership engagement, and I think we can help in a very, very growing population to help with second chances for post-correctional release. Well, I think that's very exciting, and um, you know, I was engaged in that work quite a few years ago in another life and another universe. And I distinctly recall when Congress eliminated uh, Pell Grants for Prisoners in 1992. There were a lot of uh, things said at the time that were not accurate about uh, if we give uh, assistance to these individuals that somehow 
um, middle-income students would be denied Pell. Well, that's simply not the case. That's not the way the program works. Uh, I know right now we are very much focused on the Second Chance Pell program uh, and what that can do. Uh, and frankly, I think for us, uh, as I know you know, Connie, it's really an issue of justice. Uh, we know who is incarcerated. Uh, we know that uh, you're talking about disproportionately, uh, primarily uh, brown and, and black individuals, um, many of whom are coming back to our communities at some point. And what are we prepared to do to ensure that they are successfully reintegrated and are successful. All the studies I've ever seen about recidivism and the impact of education suggest this is a winning proposition and frankly saves communities money in the long run. But if you don't buy all that, think of it, as I said, as really a social justice question. And so we're very excited, I think, that you want to bring this forward. I think there's a lot of discussion, certainly in Washington, around this issue, so the timing is excellent. And we also certainly uh, support working with you uh, on the value proposition of membership and to make sure that our boards are fully engaged and understand what we can provide, but more importantly, what, what uh, they can provide to us as an organization as we move forward. So again, I'm going to congratulate you a couple days prematurely on your ascendancy to the position of chair. Very excited. And uh, I hope uh, this summer when we go to, to Iowa uh, in July that maybe uh, there are some tassels yet to be pulled and you'll show me how to do that. So again, thank you, Connie, and uh, thank you for listening. And uh, please continue to tune in to our podcast series. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the first episode of the second season of In the Know. We're excited to be back and are looking forward to a new season with entirely new content. If you haven't already, remember to subscribe to be notified when a new episode is released.